how would you define what a woman is? Hmm. How would I define what a woman is? I think a woman, well, that's, that's a trick question. I think a woman is anything that she wants to be defined as. A human being. Um, she's an individual. A woman is powerful. A woman is really the creator of our society. Without women, like, we won't even be able to reproduce the planet. Like, we're selling uterus pins, but that doesn't mean that if you have a uterus, you're a woman, or if you don't have one, you're not a woman. So I think a woman is someone who chooses to express themselves. We can express our womanhood in so many ways that it is just unfathomable. Well, can be in the feminine way, but also can be in a non-binary way as well. A woman is love and strength and power. A woman is anyone that identifies as a woman. Simple as that. I think a woman is, like, if you identify as a woman, if you want to be a woman, then you're a woman. Well, this is one of the problems with this left-wing gender ideology, is that no one who espouses it can even tell you what these words mean. Like, what is a woman? Well, can you tell me what a woman is? No, I can't, because but, it's not for me to say. I, womanhood looks different for everybody. But do you, what do you define a woman as? An adult human female. And what does a female mean? Uh, well, that's how do, you, how do you define a female? Someone with, with female reproductive organs. Okay. Someone who's, you know, here's the thing. When you're, when you're female, it goes right down to your bones, your DNA. So that's why if someone dies, okay. we could dig up their bones 100 years from now. We have no idea what they believed in their head, but we can tell what sex they were okay. because it's, in, it's down in, it's, it's ingrained in every fiber of their being. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I'm your host, Melba Toast, and I'm so glad you could join me today. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Womanhood. (laughs) What is it? What is womanhood? What does it mean to be a woman? Is it determined biologically or by one's feelings, choice, or behaviors? Can just anyone be a woman? So I played a couple of clips in the intro to this episode, and it's very eye-opening to hear people's response to the question. These questions were asked to women at an actual women's march. You would think people attending a march for women's rights would have a clear definition of what a woman is and what womanhood actually looks like. But here's what I observed in these statements of ambiguity and inclusion The underlying idea that anyone can be a woman by merely identifying as a woman makes women and what it means to be one absolutely meaningless. Things that mean nothing and everything are not only contradictory, but of course have no value. Now more than ever, I believe women who hold to scripture as their directive for life and living have the answer to this question. God reveals to us in nature and biology our physical differences and the bodily functions of those differences, but we also have God's word that informs us of our created purpose and gender roles that come with being created female. It's both the design and the roles that encompass womanhood. We do not choose to be a woman. God made that choice for us. 
and in his choice, our purpose and roles are given. Last season, our Titus Two Times were episodes that discuss God's doctrine. We looked at what is doctrine, where do we find doctrine, uh, true versus false doctrine, and discerning doctrine. I feel this is very foundational when looking at Titus 2, older woman teaching the younger woman the whole counsel of God. His good doctrine is one of the means by which God purifies for himself women who are zealous for good works. So this season, I want to really dive into womanhood and the beauty of God's design for us. But before we dive into womanhood, uh, actually defining womanhood, we have to address how we should answer this question. To answer this question, we have to ask some questions. So we ask, do we learn from culture or tradition to determine what it means to be a woman? Do we look at science and observation to define what a woman is and what womanhood looks like? Or do we learn from the creator of humanity, the one who made both male and female? We as Christians know the answer to this. We go to God. He created us so he knows best. But it's one thing to believe in God and to know that he has the answer. It's another to ask how we receive his answer. And that is extremely fundamental to this discussion. Ask yourself, what do you believe about scripture? Is it written by God? If it is, is the God you worship sovereign and all-powerful? Is God sovereign enough to say exactly what he wants to say? Is God sovereign enough to work through the writer's upbringing, education, culture, and even his sinful nature to say exactly what he wants to say? Is God sovereign enough to know the impact of his teachings despite the differences in culture thousands of years later? Is his word inerrant? Is all of it without error? Is God not only sovereign enough and intelligent enough to say exactly what he wants to say, but is also sovereign enough and powerful enough to keep his word throughout time and culture. Did God provide in his word everything we need not only for salvation and life, but perfect and thorough instruction into righteousness and godliness? Did God provide all we need to live as godly women? For all these questions, the answer is yes. And since he has given us his very word that is profitable for teaching us what a woman is and rebukes us when we sin as women, corrects our false beliefs, and trains us into righteous womanhood, it thoroughly equips us to be not merely women, but godly women. Okay, so let's look at what God teaches us about women. Number one. God made them male and female and both in his image. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 26-27. Let's first tackle the statement, male and female, he created them. These are two distinctly different 
humans here. That difference is what we have called gender for thousands of years, and there are only two of them, male and female. This is a biological statement, one that can be observed by looking at DNA. We can definitively say that one is either male or female by the chromosomes one has, but there is more than just being identified as female that makes one a woman. Now, why do I say that? I'll explain in a bit. Both male and female are made in God's image. Humanity is set apart from the rest of creation because we are image bearers. Theologians describe having been made in God's image as reflecting certain attributes of God, God, being a spirit, is not visible that we can sculpt and draw his image, but we do have spirits inside us that display, reflect, and communicate who he is. In the beginning, this image was good, and after the fall, we still retain this image, but it is now turned inward, reflecting and communicating ourselves instead of God. When one is justified in Christ, this self... Our spirit becomes a new one, one that by God's sanctifying work is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Colossians 3.10. Yet whether one is male or female, saved or not, we are made in God's image and are of equal value and worth. The second thing we learn from looking at scripture is God tells us that woman was made from man and for man. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 
5 to 9, and 15 to 24. There is a lot of information that we can glean from these passages, and men have studied it for years. But for this episode, I want to focus on only a couple things. One, that God made humanity for a purpose. And two, that God created two types of humans for this purpose. Three, and there is an order in which he created them as well as a difference in the way he created them. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is verse 15. The male human was created first and placed in the garden and instructed to tend it before the female human was created. This is important and it lays out for us that God intended for man, Adam as he was named, to have an authoritative role in tending the land. He was given the instruction and it was his responsibility to carry it out. Seeing that it was not good for Adam to carry out this instruction alone, God created a helper fit for him, verses 18 and 20. And notice what scripture interjects here as God has seen that Adam needed a helper. Adam had been at work naming the animals, which gives Adam an authority over these animals. God himself named Adam and gives Adam that responsibility to name all the rest of creation. This is part of Adam reflecting God, part of his being made in God's image. God has authority and delegated authority to Adam to tend the garden and name the animals. Just keep this in mind as we continue. So God, seeing that Adam was alone and was in need of a proper helper to accomplish the task, put Adam to sleep, removed a rib, and formed Eve from Adam's rib. She is from him and for him, and made in God's image. Wayne Grudem explains a bit deeper on what it means for a woman to be a helper fit for man. Quote, the Hebrew text can be translated literally. I will make for him a helper fit for him. The apostle Paul understands this accurately because in 1 Corinthians 11, he writes, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 1 Corinthians 11, 9. Eve's role and the purpose that God had in mind when he created her was that she should be, for him, a helper. Yet in the same sentence, God emphasizes that the woman is not to help the man as one who is inferior to him. Rather, she is to be a helper fit for him. And here the Hebrew word kinegdo means a help corresponding to him, that is, equal and adequate to himself. So Eve was created as a helper, but as a helper who was Adam's equal, and one who differed from him, but who differed in him in ways that would exactly complement who Adam was. That's when Grudem, Evangelical Feminism and Biblical Truth, page 119. When Adam wakes, God presents her to him, and Adam, continuing his role as one in authority over God's creation, names her woman. She is named woman not merely because she is created female, but because she came from man. She is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now, back on the first account of the creation of man, God says, To them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That was Genesis 128. 
This is what men and women are instructed to do. Multiply, fill, subdue, and take dominion. Okay, so from scripture, we can answer what a woman is. A woman is an adult female human being equal in worth to man, created in God's image to be man's helper in accomplishing the directive to rule over the earth. She is as much a reflection of God as man is, and is as important as man is. She was and is needed to help man multiply, fill, subdue, and take dominion. Not only is she equal to man, needed for man, but she is also the glory of man. 1 Corinthians 11.7 While woman was created from the rib of man, she is the completion of man. Genesis 2.24 Her role in helping man rule over the earth brings glory to man. This may seem to our modern feminine sensibilities to be degrading of women, But to be the glory of someone is by no means minimizing their worth. Paul uses the same word when describing the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.20, that they are his glory and joy. They were the fulfillment of his aspirations, not because of anything that Paul did, but because God through them helped Paul accomplish what he was called to do. In the same way, we women are not merely the glory of men because of what man does, but because God has created woman to work through them to help man accomplish God's will. Man is the glory of God, and woman is the glory of man. Eve was the best thing that came from man because she was made to be his helper. And to make it even more astounding, God not only determined to create Eve from the rib of Adam, but determined that by the means of the man and woman becoming one flesh, man then comes from woman. In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 11-12. This verse, and really all the other verses we have looked at, touch on biology. I didn't really get into talking on defining women in biological terms because I want to first lay out that women are made in God's image and made for a purpose. Now this purpose explains why we are made biologically different. Our physical differences are designed by God as the means by which we multiply and complete the roles that God has given to men and women. I will get a bit more into this in the coming episodes. But while our DNA and the body parts that were created by God through them are used to identify male and female, they don't give us the purpose of men and women, nor the reason why God made humanity as either male or female. Okay, so now we have defined what a woman is. But what is womanhood? That, ladies, we will conquer in the next Titus 2 time episode. In conclusion for today, though, I want to bring us to the heart of the issue in our gender discussion, one that I always want to point us to, and that is the gospel. Yes, the gospel is so intertwined in this. In eternity past, God, knowing that his creation would undergo the subjection of sin, 
in infinite wisdom, chose to create beings that would reflect him as male and female, to be joined together to become one flesh. These two genders, the male human and the female human, would ultimately reflect the most beautiful, gracious truth that would shine in a fallen world, the glory of Christ and his bride, the church. This is good, strong theology. I'll let John Piper explain. God's ultimate purpose in creating the world and choosing to let it become this sin-wracked world that it is, is so that the greatness of the glory of Christ could be put on display where he bought the rebellious bride at the cost of his life. Now that's based on texts. Let me give you a couple of them. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 goes like this. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. God is talking about writing names down in a book. And those that are in the book don't worship the beast. He says, before the foundation of the world, in the book of life, of the lamb who was slain. So names are being written before the foundation of the world in a book. And the name of the book is the book of life of the lamb who was slain. That is amazing. Before anything existed but God, Christ was crucified in God's mind for sin that didn't exist Anywhere in the universe. That's amazing. That's not wimpy. And it doesn't produce wimpy women. It is staggering to think that God was planning the death and slaughter. That's the word slain. Sphagizomai. The slaughter of his son before the universe was made. Why? Here's the other text. This is Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Unto the praise of the glory of Of his grace. And there isn't anything. On the other side of that design. Like that's a means to anything. It isn't. When you arrive. At the praise. Of the glory. Of the grace of God. You're home. That's it. There isn't anything beyond that. That is what the universe was made. To do. To be. God was planning it such that the apex, the climax, the supreme expression of that grace would be the son's purchase at the cost of his life of his wife, you and me. Listen to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wife, your wives, as Christ loved the church. There's the parallel. 
Husbands love wives. Christ loved church, his wife, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So, putting those three texts together. Revelations 13, 8. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. I draw the conclusion. The ultimate purpose of all things is the praise of the glory of the grace of God supremely manifest on Calvary when the Son of God laid his life down to purchase and purify his wife out of an absolutely hell-bent rebellious people. That was the apex, and that's why God created the world. And that's why he created you. Now the question is, what does all that mean for true womanhood? It's not wimpy to say that God created the universe and governs all things to magnify his own grace in the slaughter of his son for an undeserving people that that people might become his everlastingly happy Bride, that's no wimpy. That's steel. That's granite. There's a place to stand when everything around your soul gives way. How I love the women in my church who stand when everything around their soul gives way. Oh, how the grace and glory of God shine off of their lives. I've been there 28 years. I've walked through a lot of dark valleys with them and I've buried a lot of children. It doesn't lead to wimpy womanhood, but it does lead to womanhood. That theology, that ultimate purpose of the world, it does lead to true womanhood. In fact, it leads to a mind-boggling understanding of true womanhood. What we have seen so far in those three texts, and there are many others that could be used to supplement that, what what we have seen so far is this. Masculinity and femininity, manhood and womanhood, belong at the center of God's ultimate purpose. Manhood and womanhood are not an afterthought of creation. They're not an afterthought of the cross. They're not peripheral to the design of what is being said when Jesus dies to magnify the grace of God. They're right there at the center at Calvary. It's staggering. Oh, how I pray that you women would be done with small thoughts about God's design for womanhood. 
we have a curse on human nature called triviality. The big problems with television and movies are not sex and violence. It's banality. It's living every day as though TV mattered. It doesn't matter at all. It's here today and gone tomorrow and then eternity. And the things that are unseen matter. And I would just like to see 6,000 souls rise into the significance of what matters in the world. You can transform every simple diaper moment. Or any other moment into massive significance. If you realize that your womanhood is here being brought to the very center of the purposes of God in this universe, which come to a climax when Christ, the husband, bought his bride. Genesis one twenty seven. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, sometimes I think we make a mistake by thinking like this. Well, God created us that way. Then later... He sends his son to die for sinners and create a people for himself by his own blood. And he thought, now I want to make this intelligible. I will look for some analogy that might be illuminating and work. Oh, look, there's marriage. That might work. I will apply marriage to the meaning of what my son has achieved. That's not the way it happened. And there's a reason why we know that's not the way it happened. When God designed in his own eternal mind how he would make a creature, call a human, in two varieties, male and female, when he, when he thought about that, He had in his mind already the cross. That's why he made us the way he made us. He didn't make us this way and then later think, oh, that would work. I'll apply that to the cross. That's not the way it happened. Now, here's why we know that. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, like this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is reaching back before the fall, all the way to the beginning, the first marriage. And he is quoting it. And then he adds this spectacularly important interpretation. He says in verse 32, this Mystery is profound. Namely, Genesis 2.24, man leaving, cleaving, 
new flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Thousands of years before there was any cross, God said about manhood and womanhood, this is about the most important event in history. That's why I made them this way. I mean for this manhood and womanhood choreography in marriage mainly and in singleness, we will see to be a display of the most important thing in the universe. My son displaying my grace in sacrificing his life as a husband for his wife. So here's my main point. What is the ultimate meaning of true womanhood? It's this. True womanhood is a distinctive calling of God to display the glory of his son in ways that would not be displayed if there were no womanhood. Say it again. It's a distinctive calling, womanhood. True womanhood is a distinctive calling of God to display the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of His Son, in ways that would not be displayed if there were no womanhood. When God described the glorious work of his son as the sacrifice of a husband for his bride, he was telling us why he made us male and female. He made us this way so that our maleness and femaleness would display more fully the glory of his son in relation relationship to his blood-bought bride. This means, this is huge now in our egalitarian world, this means that if you try to reduce your womanhood to physical features or biological functions and then determine your role in life purely on the basis of competencies, you not only miss the point of womanhood, you diminish the glory of Christ in your own life. Your distinctive female personhood is indispensable in God's purpose to display the fullness of his glory. It's not incidental to your personhood. It exists because it's God's designed relationship to the central event of history, the death of his son. So, ladies, I pray that you really grasp this. I pray you know that you were created to be a woman called to glorify God and his design of you. He calls you as a woman to display the wonders of the gospel, the glory of Christ's work in redeeming you from your sins and clothing you in his righteousness. I pray, ladies, that you revel in being made a woman, 
and grow in sanctification as you strive to reflect his image, diving into strong theology as you learn about him in scripture. I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.